Isaiah 19 and 20. We might go to 21. I haven't actually studied 21 at all. So if we do, it'll be lots of fun. Um, but Isaiah 19 is really, really hard. There's a lot of amazing, there's some really amazing stuff in Isaiah 19. Um, but it's really hard to, um, it's hard to, it's a little bit hard to figure out. So um, if you are confused about Isaiah 19, I think if you just zoom out and look at the big point that he's making, it'll be, it'll be easier if, if it is a confusing chapter for you. And it is kind of hard. Um, so I'll read, um, how will we do this? Um, I'll read section by section. So Isaiah 19, I'll start in verses one through four. So we're in the middle. We're in the middle of this big section uh, that goes all the way to like Isaiah 24, where Isaiah is giving uh, God through Isaiah is giving his people assurances that the enemies that they're worried about, all the enemies in the area will one day be uh, taken care of and and won't be a threat anymore. And he, he's given us some indications that uh, um, it's not that he's just going to destroy everyone and lay waste to them that they're going to be converted in turn and, and worship him as the true God. So it's not just, I'm going to kill everyone, then I will reign. It's uh, I'm going to judge the world. And then millions of people from all over the world, including from the nations that I'm going to judge are going to come to me to worship me as the true God. And Isaiah 19 is a really, uh, really sh almost shocking passage because of how explicit it is about that same thing. So Let's pray, and then I'll read verses one through four, and we'll just we'll just go through it little by little. Were you really trying to like balance your phone on your frappuccino glass? No, it's not going to work. Disaster will result. All right, well let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, help us to want to know your word more. Help us to learn more about your character and your plans for the future as we look at your word this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So it starts off, we moved from, we talked about uh, Damascus, which is Syria in Isaiah 17. We talked about Cush in Isaiah 18. What's the nation of Cush? Where is it? Southern Ethiopia. There you go. Ethiopia. That's where it is. Yeah. Where, where kind of where modern day Ethiopia is. I mean, the boundaries aren't exactly the same, but south of Egypt, down there. So now we go to Egypt. Oh, this is what he says. A prophecy against Egypt. See, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and is coming to Egypt. The idols of Egypt tremble before him, and the hearts of the Egyptians melt with fear. I will stir up Egyptian against Egyptian. Brother will fight against brother. Neighbor against neighbor. City against city. Kingdom against kingdom. The Egyptians will lose heart, and I will bring their plans to nothing. They'll consult the idols and the spirits of the dead, the mediums and the spiritists. I will hand the Egyptians over to the power of a cruel master, and a fierce king will rule over them, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. So, what's going to happen to Egypt? They're going to be delivered up to, to a fierce uh, master. Basically, they're going to be ruled over by an iron fist because God is angry with them. Again. Yeah, so he's going to, they're going to be delivered up in the hands of someone else. And to us, you know, when we when we are just looking back at this now, it's, it's hard to picture 
like the chronology of who's who's um, who's powerful at the time and in, in the, the the countries that are really powerful round about this time because it's so far removed from from our time. But in this day, you have the Assyrians who are extremely powerful. We have the Egyptians who are powerful but are unreliable and a little bit weaker, but they're still there floating around. The Assyrians uh, want to come south. Egypt, Egypt, Israel's like in the middle of like this highway connecting Asia and Africa. So any, any nation that wants to conquer any sort of territory and expand, they're sort of like in the way. You always have to go through Israel. It's like this great interstate highway. You always have to, it's a hub. It's a choke point. You always have to go through it to get to where you're going. The Assyrians want to go south and Egypt is there. Egypt wants to pushes Syria away, and they'd like to expand too. So you have all of these things going on, and poor Israel is just sitting there. It's two countries because they split apart, but it's just sitting there, well, and it's oh, it's hey, just this little tiny thing. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just uh, I, mean, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. The uh, the Phoenicians now are they're kind of now Phoenicians would they be considered part of Assyria? No, no. And they're more of a, they're an oceanic, I, I don't mean yes. to sidetrack. So, I mean, I'm trying to picture them there to the west of Israel, kind of on the water. Yes. So yeah. they really are trapped on all sides. Yeah, they're, they're just, they're just like this, this, um, they're like a choke point everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's like if you, uh, if you go anywhere from this church, anywhere meaningful, you, you have to go by, um, you have to go by Martin way, right? You're going to cross the intersection no matter what you do, right? Even if you just cross it for a moment and go off into the great beyond and get away from the from here, you have to go on Martin way to cross it or to drive on it somehow. And Israel is like that. It's just this, this choke point that everyone, everyone has to find and everyone has to go through. So it's a... Um, it's a problem. So Israel's always in, caught in the middle between other 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 warring uh, warring factions. Um, I could put. No, I'm not going to. It'd be it'd be too complicated. I have to change the display mode. But anyway, so Israel's like this little these two countries because they broke apart and it's stuck there. They don't have any power. Solomon had power, uh, but Solomon's been gone for a long time. So it's. Uh, they're helpless. But Egypt is this big, powerful country who they always turn to to help them against Assyria. Like a bunch of times they, they've done this. And but they're unreliable. They keep we try they, they band together. Then Egypt will run away and leave them behind and leave them to face the consequences of this alliance. And the Assyrians are mad at them. But here, the Egyptians one day are going to be totally taken care of. And so verse four, who is, who are they going to, who's he going to hand the Egyptians over to? That's, that's the, you don't need to know the answer to get the point that Egypt will be taken care of, but just for fun, we can talk about who, who are the Egyptians going to be handed over to this, this cruel King who's going to rule over them. Who's finally going to crush them. Who, who, who are they handed over to? What do you think? I have no idea. I mean, it's a cruel master, but I will know. They were handed over to the Japanese empire. I knew it. No, I'm just kidding. No, it was, it was the Assyrians. Yes. So the Assyrians came down and crushed and, and finally crushed and destroyed uh, the Egyptians. Uh, the reason why this passage is hard is because it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to like 
connect what it says happens with historical events, but you don't need to know the exact event that happened in 670 BC no. when the Assyrians came and destroyed the Egyptians. You just need to know that they were destroyed. Uh, but that's not that's not the really important part of this of this prophecy from our perspective. Right. For the folks then, yeah, that would be very nice to know. But for our perspective, they've been gone for a long time. So, okay, verses five through uh, verses five to ten. And the waters of the sea will be dried up, and the river will be dry and parched. And it's, sorry, my version's a little different. And it's, yeah. uh, canals will become foul, and the branches of Egypt's Nile will diminish and dry up. Reeds and rushes will rot away. Oh, I went too far. Um, no, no, through 10. Oh, through 10, okay. There will, be a, there will be bare places by the Nile on the brink of the Nile. And all that is sown by the Nile will be parched, will be driven away, will be no more. The fishermen will mourn and lament. All who cast a hook in the Nile, and they will languish. Who spreads nets on the water? The workers and the combed flax will be will be in despair, and the weavers of the white cotton. Those who are the pillars of the land will be crushed. And all who work for pay will be grieved. They are going to have a uh, some tough times coming ahead. Yeah, what's it picturing? What's happening? What's going to happen to them? Well, it's kind of a famine. Yeah, exactly. Famine. Yeah, I mean that's that seems like what's what's happening. He's going to talk about. A famine that's going to come on the land and they're going to have no no agriculture there there their economy is going to be shot and destroyed yeah. in sri lanka right now uh, there's been a coup well, not a coup not a, a, an uprising in sri lanka because their economy is in shambles and the uh, people just yesterday stormed the presidential palace and the president's now said oh, okay I'll, I'll resign because the economy has been destroyed when the economy is destroyed people revolt and become really really upset um What's it say about the, the the officials, like the civil servants, the people in government in verse 11? They're, 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 idiots. Idiots. they're idiots. Okay, yeah. They're they're fools. Yeah, they're they're idiots. The, the officials of Zoan are nothing but fools. Does yours say idiots? No. Okay. I would well, say that same would be thing. Cool. The wise counselors of Pharaoh give senseless advice. I think the wise should probably be in like scare quotes because they're right. not wise. How can you say to Pharaoh, I am one of the wise men, a disciple of the ancient kings? So the reason why he's saying this is because the, the, the government in the, the government officials in Egypt are, are leading the king, the Pharaoh, leading the Pharaoh to make stupid decisions and do stupid things. Where are your wise men now? Now that destruction has come and the economy has been destroyed, let them show you and make known what the Lord Almighty has planned for Egypt. The officials of Zoan have become fools. The leaders of Memphis are deceived. The cornerstones of her peoples have led Egypt astray. What's that? What's the cornerstone of, of, the, Egyptian, of the Egyptian peoples? What do you think he's talking about? The, okay. That like their rulers. Okay. The officials of Zoan have become fools. The leaders of Memphis are deceived. The cornerstones of her peoples have led Egypt astray. Okay. Yeah, it could it could be her rulers. It could also be maybe I don't know. It could be the 
their gods. Dumb spirit. Yeah, it could be their gods that they trust in, like Jesus is our cornerstone. Because they, right. they obviously let them stray because they're the chief cornerstone. Yeah. But um, I mean, God said himself, the wisdom of man. The wisdom of man is foolishness, so how much greater is the wisdom of God? So we know that man's wisdom is foolishness. And apart from God, we can do nothing. And they're being foolish by worshiping their stupid gods that aren't really gods. They're just yeah. carving images. But the, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, that, that's okay. The, 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 the most important thing for us is you're sitting here saying, you know, uh, Egypt's God for a while. Um, and they're not really threatening Israel. Even now, Israel, Egypt's not threatening yeah. Israel ever since the... It wasn't like Camp David. Was it the Camp David Peace Accords in the late 70s? I think it was in 79. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, since 79, Egypt has, has, not, has recognized the state of Israel and has not fought against Israel after fighting two wars against Israel in the 60s and the 70s. But you know, Israel's who cares? Because this doesn't have, uh, Israel's not a Egypt's not a problem now. Yeah. What is the important point for us from in 2022 is, is the is the last half of this chapter, which we're about to get to. So I'll finish this last bit. It says, starting in Isaiah 19, verse 16, in that day the Egyptians will become weaklings. They'll shudder with fear at the uplifted hand that the Lord Almighty raises against them. The land of Judah will bring terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom Judah is mentioned will be terrified because of what the Lord Almighty is planning against them. So when is this happening? When, when is this a snapshot of where Israel or Judah, that's the, sub, that's the name for the southern kingdom that Isaiah is speaking to. Has there been a day where the name of the southern kingdom where the temple is and where God's, the, the true people who allegedly worship God are, where the name of them makes everyone tremble in fear and, and want to throw in the towel and give up? I mean, when is that? Has it happened yet or is it something that hasn't happened yet? What do you guys think? Oh, when is that day coming? Yeah. Oh, has it come or is it going to come still? It seems as if it has come. No, it hasn't. Uh, he, coming on the clouds with exceedingly great glory, no. Uh, but yes, in a way, because how many times has, okay, but the answer you're looking for is no, not yet. How did you know I'm looking for that answer? I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just, so <laughs> I'm talking about verse, like, like verse 17, oh, verses yeah. 16 and 17. Yeah, Judah hasn't brought terror to the Egyptians. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I do think that Israel does bring terror to Iranian nuclear scientists with oh, whom right. they keep assassinating. Yeah. But um, does the name of Israel bring terror to um, everyone to whom they're mentioned because of what the Lord Almighty is planning? Not yet. No. I don't, I don't think so. I don't. It seems like it's future, but the, the really beautiful, uh, awe-inspiring part of this chapter is, is what's coming from here on forward. So what is this? In that day, the day that um, the Lord comes and fights for his people and the name of Judah's terrifying, in that day, five cities in Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord Almighty one of them will be called the city of the sun, or yours might say the city of destruction. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and a monument to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt 
When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender, and he will rescue them. So the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. And in that day, they will acknowledge the Lord. They will worship with sacrifices and grain offerings. They'll make vows to the Lord and keep them. The Lord will strike Egypt with a plague. He'll strike them and heal them. They will turn to the Lord and he will respond to their pleas and heal them. What is this? Has this happened yet? Is it going to happen later? If it's going to happen later, what's it mean? What's this saying? So, yeah. I'm sorry. Can you remind me of where we left off? Just uh, Isaiah 19, 19, verse 18 through 22. Okay. In that day, there will be five cities in the land. All right, I have to go. To so, yeah, that's fine. So, don't don't get caught up on trying to understand everything in it. Just what is it saying will happen to the Egyptians one day? That we agree is in the future. The Egyptians are going to um, turn to God and follow, follow him. Yeah. I don't the, know what's up for verse 18. But yeah, yeah the, the Egyptians are going to turn to God and follow God. What does it mean in verse 18? On that day, five cities in Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and will swear allegiance to the Lord Almighty. What's the language of Canaan? Aramaic? No. Well, it was Hebrew back then, right? Yeah. So what's it mean that they're going to speak Hebrew and swear allegiance to the Lord Almighty? Well, it sounds like they're going to be back into the land of their tribes are going to come back into the land of Israel. No. Well, what's it mean in verse 18 in that day, five cities in Egypt? Is it is it saying that the Israelites will just come and occupy five cities or is it mean the Egyptians will basically assimilate and become God's people, part of God's people? Yeah, that's what it means. Egypt, Assyria, Israel, blessed. This is what's really this is what's really weird. That's okay, so so think about think about. Let's go to the New Testament. Okay, if you remember in the New Testament, Peter gets all sorts of hostility because he preaches the gospel to folks who aren't Jews. Right? Yeah. He goes to Cornelius, and it takes a vision from God that's repeated three times for him to finally get that God does love people who aren't Jews, and he does want the gospel to go to everyone, no matter who they are. But then he goes back to Jerusalem in Acts 11, and he's confronted, and the, the Jerusalem council's angry at him, right? They're upset with him because he did that, because they're prejudiced, because that's their culture. You know, they have trouble letting go of the baggage they, they inherited when they became believers. And they're angry at him, and he has to defend himself. But then look at this in Isaiah 19. Isaiah 19 says, one day, future, when the Lord comes... The Egyptians will pledge allegiance, will swear allegiance to the Lord Almighty. So why? Why would Peter, why, why would the folks in Jerusalem in Peter's day have so much problems with the idea that a, that, that, that a Gentile could, could believe in God? I don't know, because Jesus, before he left, gave them the Great Commission, which was going to all the world. Mm -hmm. Judea, Samaria, to the, the uttermost parts of the yeah, earth. Has, you know, to first the Jew, then the Gentile. The problem, but the problem is that we 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 let we let our culture yeah. interpret the Bible for us instead of letting the Bible interpret our culture. We 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 do things backward. We don't mean to, but we do things backward. We take things in our culture or in our Christian you know culture. And think it must be this. And so we just read it into 
scripture. So that's what they did. Like they'd raised, they've been raised for generations that the Gentiles were unclean, filthy people. To be near one would make it so you couldn't approach God in worship. So you have to keep them away. They couldn't be in your house. The air they breathe could contaminate your cups, your dishes. And so they had all these regulations on how to purify their cups and dishes if a Gentile came near. Um, the, la the last sermon we did on the book of Acts, where Paul was arrested uh, in the temple. What, what did they say when they raised this hue and cry and said, this guy who's turning the world upside down, he's here. They also said something else that he'd done that made everyone really angry when he's arrested in the temple. Does anyone remember what they said he did? Uh, he brought a Gentile. Into the, <laughs> yeah. They're racists. Yeah. He brought a Gentile into the courtyard. Is that in the Old Testament that you can't bring a Gentile, a Gentile who believes in God can't come to the to the temple to worship? Is that there? Is that anywhere? That's really that's a huge contradiction, according to the with the the so-called San well, maybe not, the Sanhedrin and all that. Uh -huh. I mean, what they preach. The, yeah. Besides, uh, a Jew Gentile. Uh, I'm sorry, but my belief is is that. Jew, the Jew, being Jewish or whatever is not a skin color. It's a way of life. It's a culture. I mean, it is obviously. It's, oh, yeah, I know it's what you're saying. Line. But you know, it's like uh, I heard a Native American once say, you know, being a Native American or Indian isn't. It's not a skin color. It's a way of life. And you know, so if you obviously those who are not Jews are Gentiles, and that's what yeah we, we are. We sure. are to be politically correct, or so we can understand and separate the two because. God did choose Israel as his chosen, the biggest underdogs of all nations. And, but I'm, what am I, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I know, I know what you're trying to say. And I'll, I'll talk about that in my okay. sermon today a little bit too. Uh, but um, I might have got God's, God's family, Israel, has always included more than just Jewish people. It's yeah. included Jewish people who love wherever who wants to join the family. So here you have Egyptians. One day in the future... Even the Egyptians, they hated Egyptians, the Egyptians who held you guys in slavery for many, many years, the ones who always stab you in the back and you can't be trusted to form alliances with. Even these guys, God says, one day I'm going to, they're going to swear allegiance to me. I'm not going to kill them all. They're going to swear allegiance. They're going to come to salvation. In the, there's a lot of speculation. What about, what's with the five cities? What do you mean the five cities in Isaiah 19, 18? The five cities in Egypt will speak the language of Canaan. And people are like, what's with the five? And what's with the city of the sun or the city of destruction your translation might have? There's different, um, there's different ideas about, there's different words in different manuscripts. No, I know that Egypt worships the sun right now. Uh-huh. Or they... Did back in that period mm -hmm. of time. That was one of their main gods. Yeah. So the best explanation I've seen, I don't think it matters to understand his basic point, but um, I think the best explanation for this is what's with the five cities? Well, when uh, when when Joshua entered the promised land, the, they quickly conquered five cities as like the the uh, the launching point for the rest of the the rest of the conquest. And I think the best explanation I've seen is that this, this also where the, 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 these five cities who were first converted to the Lord, and then it spreads from there across the whole land, just like the, four, the five cities that Joshua and the armies first um, conquered when they first went into the promised land. 
And like Tim said, one of these cities will be called the city of the sun. It's like an ironic thing. It's like this city used to be dedicated toward worshiping the sun as a god. But now this city is one that swears allegiance to God and speaks God, the language of God's people. So it's like an ironic sort of, uh, it's like an ironic sort of thing. And then there's this discussion of there's an altar, like in Egypt, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and a monument at its border, meaning these people who've caused you so much pain and so much grief, they're going to have a shrine to God in the center of their country, symbolizing that God, true God, is, is one day is going to be at the heart of who they are. And even at their border, to let anyone who knows when they come in, you know, you, if you drive across the country and you enter different states, it says, welcome to wherever, the, the, the whatever state or something, some little cute sign just to tell people who, what your state is when you cross the state line. Well, when you cross this state line, there's an altar to, to Yahweh, to God there, to let everyone know, we worship God here, which is so different than the Egypt that they see and fear and have to deal with all the time. When they, so in verse 20, when they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he'll send them a savior and defender and he'll rescue them. He's going to make himself known to them. Um, so the, what I think we need to get from this take encouragement from, from this is that God has always planned to rescue tons of people who don't deserve love and grace, but he's always planned to rescue untold millions of people from all over the world, even the Egyptians. And then that makes it even all the more strange when you go to the new Testament and you see all of this cultural stuff being brought into the church as though it's scriptural. And we see how the apostles made mistakes and we see how we've made mistakes too. We all make mistakes. We bring our culture in and make it scriptural when it's not, when it's not, we always need to ask God to make scripture, the filter for reality and ask the Holy spirit to, to point out when we're doing things that are stupid. Like the scripture says that it's okay for African-American for black people to be in slavery because it'll help them to know the gospel more when their white owners can teach them because they're in slavery. It's better they came from Africa to be here in slavery because now the white overseers can give them the gospel. Like there, there are slave owners that actually said that and published about that in the years before the Civil War, you know, and they use scripture to justify it. Like, well, because that's the way it is, God must have done it because God's in charge. So that means God must want it to be this way. So slavery must be a great vehicle to bring the gospel to black people, right? Their culture, they're using their culture and they're sort of trying to make it fit scripture. Like Cinderella's stepsister is trying to try on the glass slipper and it doesn't really fit, but they're trying really hard. And then the slipper eventually flies off, but the Grand Duke catches it and puts it on Cinderella's feet. But anyway, um, you get what I'm saying. Okay, look at this verses 23 to 25. This is the most beautiful part. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. In that day, Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them saying, blessed be Egypt, my people, 
Assyria, my handiwork, in Israel, my inheritance. What on earth is this? I thought Israel was his people. How can Egypt be his people? You could spend a lot of time thinking about what on earth is he saying here? Do you see how it explodes this, this only Jews are God's people thing that the that Peter and, and the folks in Jerusalem, this nasty attitude they had? Look at what he says here. What's right, this mean? Right. All those who, you know, who seek me, I will be their God. I will be their father. You know, will be their God. Is what he's saying, you know. What's with the highway thing? I was thinking of like the Silk Road, but okay. I don't know why, like a trader's route, you know, the trade routes of the ancient days. Yeah, what, what, what does it like mean if there is a highway? I mean, Assyria and Egypt hate each other. Assyria is the weaker one, and but there, there's constant struggle. It's like it's like uh, it's like China and it's like China and India. They share a border, and there's always clashes. It's like India and Pakistan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's. Uh, that there's constant, there's decades of, there's generations of hostility and hatred. You know, you can't just, so the idea of the, this highway connecting them, what's this picture? Oh, they'll worship together so they'll become friends because yeah. of their belief in God. Yeah, they're, they're, the animosity will go away. And the only thing that'll do that is change hearts. God's going to uh. change hearts yeah. from even the Assyrians and the Egyptians so they'll worship together the picture so this is a picture way out in the future right so like the time machine way into the future but the picture that God paints is not a picture where everyone except Israelites are slaves and servants in Israel rules forever it's God ruling from Jerusalem but the family that he the family, uh, the, the realm is the world with people from all over the world as part of that, as a loving part of that, of that kingdom. God definitely wants to get rid of, I, well, from what I gather, I should say, get rid of that whole mentality. Like you, I think you were suggesting that, you know, we're your Israel, you know, everyone back up. Here we come. We're the chosen. You know, God loves all of his creators, loves us all. And uh, like you were saying, we're all going to equally come together, equally and worship the one true God. Everything, everything, all of God's promises are fulfilled through through Israel, and He made promises to Israel, and He's going to fulfill them. The King is going to rule from Israel's capital in the new heavens and the new earth. But the the point is, is that His people are not just Jewish people, while everyone else are second class citizens. It's a it's a multicultural thing with an Israel with with an Israel flavor from the top down. Blessed be Egypt, my people, which is so crazy. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's really weird because Paul talks about this. Who are his people? A Jewish person is not someone who's biologically Jewish. You might be biologically Jewish, but a true Israelite is someone who's circumcised in the heart, who loves God from the heart. So you can be an Israelite. And so can an Israelite, anyone whose heart is with God, who loves God because God's changed your heart. You can be an Israelite too. Egypt is people. Egyptians who 
turn to the Lord and swear allegiance to him, his people. So I'm not making this up or reading something. And that's the picture that he's painting here. Is Syria my handiwork? And Israel my inheritance? So it's a really um, a shocking picture. Think, of, think of, of hearing this and seeing that God's vision is more than just, just the Israelites in the land. They're supposed to be a nucleus to go out to tell the world about this God they worship. They're the ones that are supposed to be the evangelists pushing, evangelists pushing this message out to the world, and they failed so badly. Solomon started to get this done um, in 1 Kings 10. He had people coming from the Queen of Sheba, who came from what's now probably Yemen, heard about him and came up to see him and, and, and hear about this God. So it started started to work the way it's supposed to, but Solomon Solomon messed it up and his kids messed it up even worse. So the world is, God's plan has never just been for Israelite people to be in the land and everyone else dies or become second-class servants in the kingdom. It's been his people as the nucleus for telling the world about him and bringing people from all over the world into the family so we can be a community with the Lord forever. So that's what it's supposed to, that's what it's supposed to be. All right. So does anyone want to talk about this at all? Does anyone want to want to um, talk more about it? There's um, there's I, I talked about this in theology class a little bit. We didn't solve the problem, but we, we talked about it. There's three there's three um, big answers to who is Israel. So I'll just throw this out there and just so I'm not misunderstood. Um, three big answers to who is Israel. Um, one answer is that Israel in the Bible most of the time is just the 12 tribes. You know, Jacob's uh, uh, Jacob, it's Jacob who had 12 sons, right? Not Joseph. Joseph's one of the sons, right? Right? Okay. Yeah. So Jacob and his 12 sons, like genetic Israelites. I am a Jewish person. A lot of people say, well, well that, that's Israel. Uh, some people say the Old Testament nation, like the nation of Israel is Israel. And other people say um, that Israel are is anyone, including a whole bunch of Israelites, anyone who has ever trusted and believed in God. So it's not, a, it's not just a, a biological thing. It's not a blood thing. It's a heart thing. Um, so I th the best, the best, ex the, there, there's, so what this works out as is this, I'm trying to make this short. Um, when you look at the New Testament and you see, well, what's God's future for Israel now? You know, we're, we're waiting for Jesus to come back and he's going to come back. And then he's got some promises to fulfill to Israel. And how, what is Israel's future, Right. So there's three answers to this, and I'll, I'll give the one that I think is best right now, but I, I could change my mind. The answer is, uh, one answer, answer number one, is that the church and Israel are totally different. You can't mix them together, and they are on parallel tracks, and they'll all get to the same place in the end, but there's, there's two, they're two different things, totally different things. And they're, they're going the same place, but they have different aspects to each of them. So that's track number one. Track number two is that Israel disappears. Israel 
is the church. So all the promises to Israel, God didn't really mean them that literally. So they can just, you know, they're sort of, they, they, they go away um, through various means. Like, yeah, I know he said that, but you know, he didn't really mean it that way. We now see that he meant it a different way. So all the promise, Israel sort of melts away. Like if, uh, like if you, if you, if you, if you bake in your heating chocolate chips to make fudge or something and the chocolate chips just dissolve and they melt and they just have this pile of chocolate in the pan that you're trying not to burn. Like all the promises to Israel, Israel just sort of melts away. And now we have the church and that's it. Uh, I don't think that's correct. The third one, which I think, uh, which I'm waiting, the guy who, who wrote about this, I'm waiting to hear more because he hasn't written his follow-up book. But the other way to look at this is Israel is Israel and anyone else who ever wants to join God's family. So anyone who joins God's family becomes a naturalized citizen in Israel. You weren't born an Israelite, but when you join God's family, you become one. It's not that Israel vanishes. It's that anyone who joins God's family becomes an Israelite citizen in God's family. Like if I give this example before, if you're not born in the U.S., but you come here and you want to become a U.S. citizen, you you become a naturalized citizen. You become a U.S. citizen. You weren't born one, but now you become one. Even though you don't look, you might not, you might not, you might not quote look like one, whatever that's supposed to mean. But you've now become one, and I think that's the best explanation for what is what is Israel. It's millions upon millions of Israelites, including a lot who are going to be saved in the last days, and anyone who ever wants to join the family, no matter who you are, you become an Israelite. And God's going to fulfill his promises to Israel, which will include Israelites and anyone else who ever happens to, to come to faith. So that's why when I look at passages like this and I see Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. That's why that third option, to me, it seems to make the best sense of the, the tons of passages that, that talk about all this stuff. Uh, so that's my Cliff Notes version of it. We're going to do chapter 20, which is five verses, six verses long, as an addendum to chapter 19, and then we'll, we'll probably finish a few minutes early. So really amazing stuff about, in the end, God's vision for his community is a multicultural bunch of folks who love him and swear allegiance to him. Uh, Isaiah 19.25, blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. Meaning... All the things that he's promised to Israel are going to come true. They're his inheritance. But his people are more than just Jacob and the descendants of his 12 sons. Egypt, my people. Assyria, my handiwork. And even people who aren't Jewish, who are part of a nation that is that hates God, but will one day love God, they're his handiwork too. God has people all over the entire earth who he plans to save and bring to himself in the end. And this is a beautiful little snapshot of this, of this community. So anyway, I've talked about it enough, but I think it's really amazing. So I think we should focus as we go through, he keeps with, he keeps on with these prophecies until, um, until 20 through 24, we shouldn't focus so much on the fact that God's going to judge. We should focus on what he talks about, how he's going to judge. We've seen all these images of him not just destroying people, but 
him saving and rescuing people from the folks he's going to judge because God wants to save people from all over the earth and he always has. But that's so different from the prejudice we see in the culture from the folks in Jerusalem in the book of Acts. Because we all have stuff we bring to the table that God has to work out of our lives and sometimes it takes longer than others. But anyway, verse uh, chapter 20. This is like a, uh, a partial fulfillment In the year that the supreme commander sent by Sargon, king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and and captured it, at that time the Lord spoke through Isaiah, son of Amos. So this really, this he's he's assuming that you know what he's talking about. Are we talking about the uh, North Korean supreme commander? No. I'm just kidding. No, we're not talking about him. Supreme Commander, I'm like, whoa, I've never heard that. I'll just say I've heard a lot of stuff, but I never heard that one before. Yeah, that's okay. So it's like he's writing, he's writing his, he's spoken his prophecy to folks who are who are listening to him, and they get what he's saying. So he doesn't have to give dates, he just has to give references uh, that that they that they get. Um, the Egypt, you don't need to memorize this, but in chapter 19, when he talked about um, the Egyptians being destroyed by the, by their enemies. That happened when the Assyrians destroyed the Egyptians in in in, six, in 670 BC ish. Um, this in chapter um, um, chapter 20 is sort of a, a precursor thing that happened when the um, when the Egyptians were vanquished in like 710 BC. You don't need to know this. I mean, you don't need to like memorize this. Your salvation will depend on it. Uh, this is just like a partial, a partial fulfillment um, that gives us a snapshot of when this happens. Isaiah spoke and, and talked to the people and told them this. So, chapter twenty, verse two. At that time, the Lord spoke through Isaiah, son of Amos. He said to him, "Take off the sackcloth from your body and the sandals from your feet," and he did so going around stripped and barefoot. Then the Lord said, just as my servant Isaiah has gone stripped and barefoot for three years as a sign and portent against Egypt and Cush, so the the, the king of Assyria will lead away stripped and barefoot the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles, young and old, with buttocks bared to Egypt's shame. He's sort of Reminding them that what he said was going to happen in chapter 19 is going to happen. All of you guys, the Egyptians and the Cushites, you'll all be destroyed. Um, And the Assyrians are going to do it. There's nothing you can do about it. Those who trusted in Cush and boasted in Egypt will be dismayed and put to shame. In that day, the people who live on this coast will say, see what's happened to those we relied on. Those we fled to for help and deliverance from the king of Assyria. How then can we escape? So what do you think? Isaiah is giving this to them for a reason. Like in chapter 19, he told Isaiah, one day the Egyptians will be destroyed by the Assyrians. They're foolish. They've gone their own way. And one day they're, they're, going, to, they're going to pay. And then in chapter 20, he tells Isaiah when like the first glimmerings of this destruction take place, he tells them to tell the folks this again. And he says, you know, all the people are going to watch this and say, Everyone was relying on Egypt for help, but now they've been destroyed. How then can we escape from the Assyrians? What do you think God wants these people to start thinking of when Isaiah is telling them this? Who should they turn to for help? 
Yeah. Yeah. To him. Yeah. All of these things are happening. God said it would happen in advance. And is there starting to happen? Not just to the Israelites, but even to the people on the coast, these little, these little, uh, these little uh, nations who are wondering, how can we possibly escape this juggernaut? What are we supposed to do? He's sort of hoping that they're going to say, maybe we should turn to the God of the, of the Hebrews, the one true God, who they say is the one true God and who, who protects them. Maybe we should go to them instead. Maybe we should turn to him for help and learn about this God that they worship. And that is chapter 20. Excellent. That's Isaiah 19 and 20. And the beautiful part uh, that I think to, to take away again is this, this image of the end, this image of eternity with God one day way in the future. What's this community that God's forming going to look like? It's going to be, it's going to, it's going to be have an Israelite flavor, but it's going to include the Egyptians, the Assyrians, who are all going to worship together as a family. The Egyptians, who he calls his people, because who are his people? His, those, yeah, go ahead. Oh, you those, go ahead. All those who believe in him and who trust, who, well, those who are obedient to God's word. The people who believe in him. So who is who are the who who are who is a true Israel? The Israelites are his people, but who is Israel? Per, a person who is a Jew is not a Jew outwardly. It's whether you're circumcised in your heart, then you're an Israelite. That can include an Israelite, a blood Israelite. It could also include you and me and the Egyptians. Anyone who comes to Christ becomes an Israelite. All those who have Abraham's faith are sons of Abraham. Galatians 3, 27. Another example for the actual blood Israelite, Nathaniel, mm -hmm. in whom there was uh, indeed yeah. a true Israelite in whom there is no lie. Yeah, that's really good, actually. He, why did, why did you, so in John chapter one, Jesus told Nathaniel, you're a true Israelite. Why? He uh, believed in the Messiah. Yes, yes. And he was circumcised of the spiritual aspect of the heart yeah. and everything else. And yeah, that, there was no lie. That's, re, that's really good. So, um, yeah, it's um, God's people are anyone. God's people is Israel and Israel means Israelites and anyone else who wants to pledge allegiance and swear allegiance to him. And that's this image of the future here. That's really beautiful at the end of Isaiah 19. So next week, we're going to talk about prophecy against Babylon, Edom, Arabia, Jerusalem, lots of prophecies against. Uh, I'm going to try to do more than just talk about how God's going to destroy everybody. And I'll find some, find some stuff about God's character that we can focus on to help us practically as we are in 2022 and we look forward to what God's doing in the future.